My text is taken from 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The main thing that we should have grasped by now is that John is talking about the way we know the Lord Jesus Christ now that he has ascended to the Father. But I hope that more than that is happening. It's one thing to say, well, I see what John means. But if that is all that takes place during these days together, then we are no better off at all. God grant that we can begin to have a taste of that which gripped John, that made him want to say, These things we write unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so John is talking about the way we know the Lord Jesus now that he is with the Father. It is the same Jesus who could be heard, seen, and felt. But we know the same Jesus now, not through sense perception, but with a different kind of hearing, a different kind of seeing and of touching. And so when John said in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, He's not talking about the ears with which he was born, or the eyes, or the hands, but he's talking about with the set of eyes, the set of ears, the set of hands given to him since he has been born again. And John wants us to know what Jesus told to the disciples, but which they didn't get. And finally Jesus said, I've got many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What one John is, is what Jesus couldn't tell his disciples, because they couldn't take it. For example, a key verse, as we have been seeing, is John 16, 16. A little while and ye shall not see me. That referred to the fact that he would ascend to the Father. But then he said, a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. And Jesus was saying it to them then. I will be as real to you as I have ever been. But the whole time Jesus talked like that to his disciples, they were brought right down. Sorrow filled their hearts. And so, one John is the verification that all which Jesus had told the disciples was true. And I think one of the fringe benefits we're getting from studying 1 John is that we're learning the gospel of John along the way. I don't know about you, but I have come to understand the gospel of John, the fourth gospel, in a measure I had never known. And so when John comes to verse 5 and says, this then is the message which we have heard of him. 
He's talking about what he has heard from Jesus of late. And we're dealing here with a man who is an old man, aged 90. But he's not reminiscing. There's not the slightest bit of nostalgia, much less senility creeping in. His mind is as clear as a bell. And what he is saying is as contemporary as you can get. Well, he's just finished with his introduction or prologue. And he just stated his purpose in writing in two ways. First, he said, I write these things to you that you may have fellowship with us. And then he restates it and he says, I write these things that our joy may be full. Well, what we have here, in a sense, is, is his first comment. He's given his introduction, and, and it's the first thing he really wants to say, having made this necessary introduction. And what does he say? This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so this really sets the thesis of the epistle as a whole. And although John doesn't repeat this line and these exact words again, all that follows is in actual fact a variation of this premise, that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. So that if we understand John here, we're prepared to move on. Now the question is, why does John say God is light and in him is no darkness at all? Why doesn't he say Jesus is light and in him is no darkness at all? Now these words, the Greek theos both estin, God is light. They're not found in the fourth gospel. They're not found anywhere in the gospels, not in the synoptics. Now, what we do have is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And what we do have in the prologue of the fourth gospel are words like this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And these are references to Jesus. And indeed, in John chapter 12, Jesus put it like this. He said, walk while ye have the light. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of the light. And it was a reference to Jesus himself. Well, now, if John learned his lesson well, that Jesus is the light, why does he come along now, 60 years later, and say, God is light? Well, the answer is because he did learn his lesson well. In fact, what he's saying is exactly what Jesus said for him to say. He put it like this, this then is the message which we have heard of him, of the word of life who has gone to be with the Father, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, why did the Lord Jesus Christ, who said that he was the light, tell John to say, God is light? That's the question. We're approaching now one of the profoundest things that can be grasped with regard to the Christian faith. And yet it's its very essence. 
To understand this is to have a wonderful breakthrough. And yet, to put it rather sharply, it will help emancipate us from the flabby, sentimental kind of Christianity that largely dominates the church at the present time. But there are those who have a way of speaking so familiarly of Jesus, if not doing it in a most impertinent way. I think of Paul's comment to the Corinthians, you would receive another Jesus. And so, if we are to understand John's words, which he got from Jesus, God is light. What it will do is to bring the whole New Testament together for us and help us to understand the odd verse here and there that many of us have had difficulty understanding. And yet, best of all, to understand this is to, to be given great reassurance that we know the true God. And there is nothing more staggering but thrilling than that, to realize we are in touch with the true God. Now, what John wants us to learn is what he had to learn, which even three years at Jesus' side did not teach him. Now, we sometimes say that Jesus could do anything, and there's uh, no doubt truth to that in terms of his omnipotence and so forth. But there was something Jesus couldn't do. He said so. He said, if I don't go away, the comforter cannot come. It's his way of saying you cannot have it both ways. I cannot do everything. One thing I must do, I must go away. I have to do it. If I don't, the comforter will not come. Now, Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away. They didn't believe that then. And Jesus went on to say, my father is greater than I. As a matter of fact, he put it like this in John chapter 8. He said, I seek not mine own glory. And he said, I do not honor myself, because if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Now, this is an extraordinary thing when you stop and think about it. We're talking about Jesus, who also said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, but can say, I seek not mine own glory. Now, we know about the self-effacing nature of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. He doesn't speak of himself. But do you know that on earth, our Lord was much the same way. He kept talking about the Father. The Father. And the disciples would hear this. They really didn't get it. And of course, the Pharisees, most of all, were turned right off by it. And Jesus simply said, well, you are not of my Father. And yet the whole time John was with Jesus, he didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. And Jesus knew that they couldn't get it till he went to the Father. And so, why was Jesus saying these things? I honor not myself. I seek not mine own honor. Well, don't get the idea that Jesus was saying things like this to be modest or just to set some kind of an example. 
It wasn't that at all. He meant literally that because that was true. When he said, the Father is greater than I, that's exactly what is true. And he wants us to see it. He did not come to glorify himself. Well, now, now that Jesus is with the Father, what did he say to John? Well, John said, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so the central thing that we are to learn from Jesus is that we're talking about the true God. Have you ever had this experience when you were overwhelmed with the realization that by being a Christian and by having fellowship with God, you've really got it right? And that you are in touch with the true God. And those who do not know the true God through Jesus Christ are lost. It's the most staggering feeling. And you say, why have I got it right? What is it about me? It's a profound mystery. And so thrilling to think that God would actually reveal himself to us. All right, this is why John put it like this in verse 3. I write these things that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father. Now, this shows that John had come a long way from those days uh, when he leaned on Jesus' breast, or as the New International Version put it, he leaned on his side. Now, do you realize that we're talking about a man here, John, who was apparently the most tied to the physical person of Jesus at the natural level. And yet, we're also told that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, why do you have expressions like that in the Gospel? Are these put there idly? What's the purpose here? That John leaned on Jesus' side and that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well. Maybe I could best illustrate it like this. Take a pastor of a church. There are some ministers present here today. Uh, as you look back on churches of which you've been a pastor, you will know that there are certain members that are closer to you than others. There may be the equivalent of the inner circle, like Peter, James, and John. And there might even be the equivalent of the one who leans on your side and that you have a special affection for. Every pastor knows what this is. Well now, may I say quite frankly that there are two kinds of pastors, two kinds of leaders. One, there's the pastor who, who will want his closest friends to help him to build up an empire. And he will, he will want his closest friends to keep singing his praises, admiring him, to be tied to him, and to take the party line. He would uh, let his closest friends know he wouldn't want you even to be found talking to another minister. And uh, check with me with every book you read. I can tell you whether it's all right to read that book. 
Don't go to any other church. You, you know you, you're, you want to be right here with me. Now, there's another kind of minister. A pastor who wants his closest friends to prove his own worth, the pastor's own worth, by how his friends grasp the truth. And rather than governing by a spirit of fear, he wants his closest friends to know the truth and to be emancipated from himself. Any pastor worth his salt will not want his closest friends to be tied to him and to take a party line. But he will want them to avoid this. Now, the question is, what kind of pastor or shepherd or leader do you think Jesus was? Did he want to gather a personal following or to build an empire? Not at all. In fact, listen to him when he's standing before Pontius Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I wouldn't be delivered unto the Jews. But my kingdom is from another place. And so Jesus said, I seek not my own honor. All right. The truth is, Jesus did not want these disciples to be irrevocably tied to himself. What kind of savior would Jesus be if he had kept John forever leaning on his side? What kind of parents are they who, who never want their children to grow up and mature? There are some parents who just want their children tied to them. It's, it's, it's pathological. But they, they feel this. They, they don't really love their children, you see. They, they love themselves, and, and, they, and their children do something for them, and they will not let their children go. And so a pastor can be this way. He really is feeding his own ego by encouraging his different ones around him to keep bowing before him. Now, you see, the truth is that Jesus would allow John to lean on his side. And Jesus showed a, a special fondness to John. But do you realize what this is saying? It puts the responsibility on each of them that John himself would demonstrate, if anything, most of all, the very truth Jesus wanted them to know. So Jesus, in fact, was the perfect teacher. He wanted his disciples to be completely emancipated from him at the natural level. Now, why did he want them emancipated from himself? Well, I can tell you that they might know the Father and know that he is the only way to the Father. So, when John could say, these things I write unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He shows that Jesus, the perfect teacher, did succeed with John. And he turned John into an obedient disciple indeed. Now look, suppose when Jesus went to the Father, that this man, John, who was the one closest to Jesus, had gone off in a corner someplace and sulked, and pouted and, and uh, just say, well, I, I, you all just count me out. Jesus has gone to the Father. I, 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 can't, uh, I can't talk to you. What, what would this say? Had the man closest to Jesus turned out like that, while the other disciples were getting on with the job, 
Here's John, who is in a corner sulking. You see, Jesus would not have been complimented had John said to Jesus, Look here, you can talk about the Father all you want. It's you I want. Don't You can talk about the Holy Spirit coming. No, Jesus, it's you I want. I just want you. Do you think that would have complimented Jesus? And yet there was that feeling, you see, that they had. And this is the way Mary Magdalene felt when she saw that it wasn't the gardener at the empty tomb, but it was Jesus. She threw her arms around him and Jesus said, Stop, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. Jesus didn't rebuke her. He understood her. But he knew what was best for her. Now, we don't know anything more, really, about Mary Magdalene in how she turned out later, but I could predict that it would be she who would be saying also, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, John even said, these things write unto you that our joy may be full. You see, what delighted John most was that his own little children would develop as he did. As he put it in his third epistle, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. All right. Jesus wasn't wanting a personal following. John wasn't wanting a personal following. And you know, the Apostle Paul felt exactly the same way. It didn't make him happy when he said to the Corinthians, some of you say, I'm of Paul. Others of you say, I'm of Apollos. Others, I'm of Cephas. Others say, well, I'm of Christ. Do you think for one minute that Paul would say, well, now look, when I get to Corinth, I want to talk to those who say you are of Paul. We're going to have a party together. You're my people. No! This did not impress him. He knew he had been remiss in his job of anything if he could encourage that. It did nothing for Paul at all that anybody would say, I'm of Paul. And so, this is what John is wanting to get over to us when he makes his first statement, having completed his introduction. What does he say? This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus came to show us the way to God. The question is, what good is it? What is God like? Is it worth taking Jesus seriously? What is in it for us that we know the true God? Or is it that we're just enamored with the person of Jesus? And so much of the hymnody that has come along in the 20th century is just sentimental. I was listening to a song the other day, I walked today where Jesus walked. Sheer sentimentalism, you see. And I could go on and on. All right. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Well, the way he's talking, it must be wonderful to know the Father. To know the Father. And so, why go to God in the first place? Who wants to know him? All right, listen now to a man who has found God and who has taken Jesus seriously.
And he comes back with this report. This then is the message which we have heard of him. Declare we unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John becomes a God-centered man. He's absorbed with God, the true God. Now, how close did John get to God that he could report this finding? Well, now, John didn't say that he saw God. In fact, he goes on later to say, in case you wondered, he says, No man hath seen God at any time. He didn't say he saw. He said that which we have heard of him. And so he's telling us what he has learned of Jesus, that God is light. And in saying that, he puts forward the most comprehensive thing that can be said about the true God. So I must say to anybody here today, if your report of God conflicts with this, you have not come to know the true God. When John says God is light, it is the absolute backdrop against which all religion is to be tested. It is also the backdrop against which the truthfulness of our relationship with God is tested. So should your own religion give you a bit of light but still leaves you in confusion, you have not yet found the true way. In him is no darkness at all. We are talking about what Jesus has said about God, but also there's something implicit here, how clear the transmission is between Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, and John, who is on earth, is. How clear is this transmission? Although Jesus is with the Father. Now John could say this is the message which we have heard of him. And it's very interesting here. Notice these words, which we have heard. Which we have heard. Do you know, you find in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. And now verse 5, this is the message which we have heard. It's the exact same words, the very same Greek word. Now, in verse 1, John was talking about Jesus' physical voice, his tone of voice. We heard him. But in verse 5, he's referring to the communication with a different set of ears. And yet, it's so real, so clear, he can use the same word. We heard his voice, but now he's with the Father. We have heard him. That's how clear it is. It shows that Jesus was right when he said, I send you another comforter. He will take my place. You're not going to want me to come back. The communication will be just as clear. So there it is. Knowing God brings us into a level of reality with reference to the person of Jesus Christ and to the nature of God that is just as real, as lucid, as clear as anything that can be known at the natural level. Look, what is it that keeps a Christian going? Have you had a trial this week that has nearly bowled you over, and yet you're going on? Why? Is it because you're more intelligent? No. Is it because you're stronger? You certainly don't feel stronger. You got more courage than somebody else? Well, 
You would smile at that thought. Why, why do you keep going? It's not because you're more clever or you just by nature are stronger or more courageous. It's not that. What keeps the Christian going? It's because he's in touch with a network that holds him. It's just like the man who was healed of being blind and he, he was in trouble simply because Jesus healed him. He couldn't see all his life and now he could see and, and instead of being happy about it, the Pharisees wanted to interview him and, and find out more about who did it. And they wanted to get him. That's what they wanted to do. They weren't happy. And the blind man just said, look, look, look. Whether he be a sinner or no, I don't know. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. That's the thing that makes the difference. And so what age that man was, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter how clever he was. It wouldn't matter what kind of job he had. What he knew, he knew. And it was real to him, and it was so powerful that it kept him going. The Apostle Paul, I suppose, came the closest of any man since Moses to actually seeing God. He tells us that the light came down. He never got over it. Every time he got a chance to speak, he would go back. The light came down. He said to the Jews in Jerusalem, that light came down. He was before Agrippa. Look, look, I was on my way to kill Christians, but the light came down. I know it happened. And so with us, where God has intervened in our lives, we know it's real. Something happened. It keeps us going. As the apostles put it, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. But suppose someone is saying, but wait a minute, God isn't that real to me. It is one thing for John to say what he has seen and heard, but he was a special case. Or these apostles, we cannot speak the things, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. But weren't they special? Wait a minute, says John. Verse 3 that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. It is an unqualified promise that you can know God as well as John knew him. And do you know that John doesn't want to know God better than you? And I repeat what I said last week. If there is that in you that makes you want to know God better than anybody else. You show there's something defective in your own relationship. For to see God who is light makes you want everybody else to know the same thing. And so John could say, these things write unto you, I write unto you that our joy may be full. Remember this. That the Christian faith is so designed that not only can all of us know God equally, neither would any want, one of us want to trade places with any other person, living or dead. You see, God made you, you. He made you, you. He made you, you. He did it. 
Now, for you to want to be somebody else or living at another time is to call into question the wisdom of God in making you just like you are. And so this is why St. Augustine could say, Thou hast made us for thyself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But to know this fellowship with God, who is light, in whom is no darkness at all, will make you happy with yourself. Just like you are, and you wouldn't change places with anybody. I must say that until we see this, we do show that we haven't been gripped by this thing John calls fellowship with the Father. You know? The slightest discontentment, which makes us envious, betrays that something else in our life is successfully competing with fellowship with the Father. If you find yourself saying, well, I would be happy if, well, you need that to make your joy complete, you see. If only I could have more money, or if I had this job, or if I were living over here, or I didn't have this problem, I'd be all right. You're still trying to find your joy in things, or in circumstances, or in a, an ideal situation. John said our fellowship is with the Father. Have fellowship with us. The only thing incomplete is that I want you to have it. That will make our joy full. And look, if you quarrel with this, you are denying the truth of the Lord Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John said, this is the message which we heard. It is angelia. Angelos is angel, messenger. Angelia is message. And John says, we're talking about a specific message. John is saying, look, I'm not the one who thought this up. Don't get mad at me. This is what we've heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light. I'm just passing on what I heard. It's another case of John holding back no secrets. The true Christian doesn't want to withhold anything from another that will help him. Withholding anything that would do another person good is a sign of hate, not love. And so what is that message? That God is light. You see, to deny this would not only be denying the words of Jesus Christ, but apostolic authority. He said, declare we unto you. The Christian faith is apostolic doctrine first and then fellowship. And so you cannot bypass the apostles to get to the Father. This is why John said, We write unto you that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father. And so on the day of Pentecost, we are told they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. If you think you can pass up the New Testament and end up with fellowship with the Father, we're living in a fantasy world where all that we're saying is based upon the apostles' 
doctrine. All right. This statement that God is light is not only a standard of measurement by which the truthfulness of our relationship with God is tested. It is a positive statement about God. James said it. Every good gift, every perfect gift has come from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And yet, although this is a comprehensive statement about God, and it is true in its own right, it must be said that God does not reveal himself as light for his own sake. Why does he do it? He does it because it's an open invitation to everybody to dwell in that light. That's why he reveals himself as light, not to make us envy him. No, but rather that we may have fellowship with him. So why does he add, in him is no darkness at all? Well, it's it's partly John's style. We've seen this before. We're going to see it many times. John's style is to take us down one street and bring us back the opposite direction. does this all the time. That's what John just keeps doing. He's not repeating himself. It's simply going down one street. You can't see it all, so you come back. And so going down one street, God is light. You come back and you, you can see how true it is. In him is no darkness at all. I read a statement this week of C.S. Lewis, who was giving some advice to a young person. And in John Stott's uh, late book on preaching, he quotes this, and this is where I got it. Lewis said, Always try to use the language so as to make quite clear what you mean, and make sure your sentence couldn't mean anything else. Now, that is what John has done. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. It's his way of letting us know whether we are dwelling in that light. Because to dwell in God is to dwell in light. And that means an absence, an utter absence of confusion, of hate, of anxiety, of fear of bondage. And to dwell in God means that there will be the presence of clear thinking. We sometimes use the, use the expression, you're having it all together. Presence of love. Peace. Assurance. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. To dwell in this light even for a fleeting moment will show the vanity of this world with all its lust. To dwell in that light for a moment will make you loathe even loving the world as we have done. One glimpse 
of that light makes you see how useless and vain is the flesh. And so when, when we are determined to elevate ourselves or to vindicate ourselves or to get even with another person, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. James taught the same thing, you know. He said the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And so, my fellow Christians, it is not enough just to go through this epistle and say, well now, I see what John is saying. Hmm, never did understand that before, I got it now. If that is all that happens, then we're no better off. But this epistle is an open invitation to know God, to be happy with ourselves, to like everybody, to get on. And we can see that John said it exactly right. There was no other way to put it. In him is no darkness at all. May we pray. Our Father, we pray indeed that Thou wilt have mercy upon us, that we might have a glimpse of that light of Thyself in whom is no darkness, that we will see that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lord, bring us into a relationship with thee like that. And do it soon. Do it now. For Jesus' sake. Amen.